Hello again. I'm John Pear and this is episode 15 of Pear's Poetry Podcast, Differing Viewpoints. As usual, I'm starting with a sonnet. I have no date for this one, but imagine I wrote it in or around 2000 when I was regularly going down for meetings in London, either for clarity, a movement to try to persuade fellow lawyers to use plain language, or what is now resolution, then the Solicitors Family Law Association. England. The England of 2000 summer days flits past my static railway window frame. Its stately sunlit silence contrasts with the clatter of the rail joints on each wheel. No movement on this windless warming morn save horsetail, bird, a solo car and shade which seems to move or be moved through by grass and field and nearby oak or former grandeur of the sorry elm. The sky of pale bright blue enfolds the scene with greyish speedless clouds sidelit by early low slung sun which soon will dominate the hemisphere that forms a vaulted dome across this part of Shropshire I call home. For last November's meeting of the writers' group Caroline and I belong to, we had to write something about horror. I had read an article suggesting that because of a tilt in Earth's axis over the centuries, astrologers' charts should rightfully include 13 rather than the traditional 12 sectors, for which reason many people were not under the sign that they had always been told they were, and some, of course, were under the 13th. Horoscope Astrology has been around for something like 3,000 years, but gravitational tides abound. For some, it might all end in tears. A star called Theuban was our north, but Earth's axis has since changed. The sun now has a different course against the constellations ranged around the universe entire and passes against full 13 now, a baker's dozen, just one higher. Oh, Ophiuchus, take a bow. You thought you were a Capricorn? Well, now you're Sagittarian. But don't do go getting all forlorn, just be humanitarian. Aquarians are mostly goats, and fish have aqua plentiful. Rams won't be getting many oats, because they're fish and bountiful. Many bulls have shrunk to sheep, and twins are mainly bullocks now. If you're a crab and sideways creep, you have a twin. Both take a bow. If you were maidens, now you are a lioness. Well, most of you. And if you hold a balance bar, you are a maiden made anew. The scorpions among you must resign yourselves to being fair. Although a few may grow a bust, and archers... You must take a share, for some will gain a tailborn sting, a few will hold a pair of scales, but most will not be anything, for Ophiuchus has no tails. Attached to it by legends tell, though it's a constellation true, here's horror, not the road to hell, for there's no horoscope for you. Our third poem today is from my nature section, but rather than describe birds from our earthbound situation, I'm taking an imagined bird's eye view of humans. 
I wrote it in September 2017. Bird's Eye View As he soared effortlessly on the updraft, barely flexing his mottled brown pinions to keep his steady place and look out, he saw far below him two humans, one male and one female, as he had learnt from the strange garb they wore, seemingly non-natural. He judged them about eight or nine buzzard years, though she looked decidedly the younger. He, the less likely to have changed the colour or his plumage, was somewhat badgerish, not that he ever had ever tackled one of those creatures. Too large, too aggressive, he preferred smaller prey. It was hard to hear the sounds they made from his altitude. It was clear that they mewed a lot more than he and his family did, but it was quite melodious when the fluky breeze carried their noise to his ears. With his keen eyes, he could tell that they looked directly at each other, something he could only do with one eye at a time. Frequently, and when they did their strange beaks, so two-dimensional and seemingly unmade for striking and consuming prey, curved upwards at the corners, something impossible for him. Further, when that happened to one of them, it seemed to be echoed by the other. Their strange wingtips seemed to be intertwined for much of the time, and often after those upturnings they reached closer to each other and either touched beaks or placed their scraggy wings around each other. This seemed to produce even longer contortions of their bills and mewings. He could only conclude that these earthbound beings had ways that might be as enjoyable as that which the uplifting of his wings by the warmed air rising from the valley below gave him, which always seemed better when his mate or a fledgling was up there with him. What about fledglings? These humans had none with them. Perhaps they had none at all, or maybe had hatched offspring, some of whom had not survived their early years, or who now had mates of their own and had flown the nest. He knew how that would feel. The losses were painful, but he still enjoyed every new hatching and the perils of their leaving the nest for the first time. The couple, as they walked, neared one of those strange moving boxes, drew out some sort of wing and disappeared within it. Presently it moved off. From his vantage point over the whole area, he could watch it moving towards the setting sun. For a few minutes, and came to a halt by a red structure adjoining a field he had visited once or twice, one that didn't seem ever to produce anything but grass. Fleetingly, he saw them exit the white box and enter the big red building, as the daylight faded, small squares lit up one by one. It was time to return to his family. By the way, a buzzard's average lifespan is about eight years, that of a human nearer 80, so 10 to 1. That was quite a long one, but today's poem from abroad is a shorter section from Marrakesh Holiday, with one final section to come in episode 16 next week. Marrakesh Holiday, part three. On Wednesday morning on our quest to climb the pass of Tizen Test, well, we have got the present day and seek the tanner's ancient way of treating hides with hideous stuff that makes it turn out far less rough.
The jeweller's friend shows us the path, but we, and one has got to laugh, end up in yet another store with kilims stacked up by the score. The answer, no, does not amuse, but we escape, not forced to choose. Another guide takes up the task. The first has gone to lunch. We ask to see the would-be leather soaked while sniffing mint so we're not choked. We need a newer guide to lead, which means another tip's decreed. We nearly get into a stew to find we're led to carpets new, excuse ourselves and make a dash towards the square to save our cash. A few false turns, but then we're there. Jamar Elfna's entrancing square. After some lunch on Terrace High with views of minaret against the sky, we go by Kalesh through the melee to Le Jardin Majorelle, where cacti grow and terrapin die through the lilies with their kin. We savour all the subtle hues and greens against blue from pathway views and wonder at Islamic art and YSL's domestic part. We shun the pricey horse-drawn way and take a taxi home today. We take advantage of the pool. It's pretty chilly as a rule, so longish swim we'd quickly rue, then do the crossword clue by clue. Tonight we dine in buffet style at Hotel Alley for a while. In Tazi's bar we try to reach a stage where we can start to teach the barkers that fine game of cards whose name is not the stuff of bards, the loser sounds to have upon his head another card game in its stead. The drums beat out in Tramar Elfna, the pulse of Marrakesh, and all are drawn into the square's enticing mesh. A heady mix of smoke and smell and buzz and blare attracts the world to come and wander there. So, there we are, at the end of another episode with number 16 due for release in a week's time. So long for now.